Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. How about them Cowboys? Yeah. So we won Oklahoma, and it was state, and it was state. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell on Boxing Day, the day after Christmas. Colby, Merry Christmas and uh, Happy Holidays. How was your Christmas? It was fantastic. I hope yours was great. We are very fortunate, very blessed, great family on both sides, my wife's side, my side. Um, Our almost two-year-old daughter got Tons of clothes, tons of toys. We deep cleaned our entire house on Saturday. And when I say deep clean, I mean like eight trash bags worth of stuff. We've got stuff to take to Goodwill. Some stuff went in the trash. Some of it was our stuff. Some of it was our daughter's stuff. Just making room for all the new. Um, and yeah, lots of good stuff. I got some some great golf gifts that I'm excited to use just as soon as the weather gets warm. I was checking my app this morning. I think it's going to be warm enough for me to go out and practice a little bit and play with some of my new toys on Saturday. So it was a great Christmas. We're very fortunate. How was it at House Cunningham? Uh, similar. We actually, you know, we moved into this house in April and we never really, you know, when you move in, you're not going to arrange the garage exactly how you want it. So it had kind of gotten somewhat disastrous in there. So we cleaned the garage completely out. We cleaned both of our closets out, took it all to Goodwill. Uh, that was fantastic. Just makes you feel better having all the junk out of the house. And uh, yeah, we um, first Christmas for me as a married family, I uh, had my two stepdaughters and then my parents came over. Uh, my wife, Sydney and her dad and her brother came over. So it was uh, the first official Christmas as a, as a family. And it, it was spectacular. It um, was, I felt a lot like Clark Griswold at the end of a Christmas vacation. He goes, he goes I did it. That's kind of how I felt, although we did it. I mean, my wife, Sydney, was the real hero. She did all the cooking, and she's such a great host. So it was um, it was very special, man. I don't I don't mean to get too sentimental on here, but it, it meant a lot to me and, and my family. So it was it was spectacular. And the cherry on top, Colby, my two I'm in two fantasy football semifinals. It all came down to the late game on Monday night. I won my first matchup, which was great. It's the high dollar league I'm in, and then my longtime league I've been in since a freshman in high school. The guy I'm going against has Christian McCaffrey, and the Niners got it on the one-yard line on first and goal. And I'm like, if he scores here, I'm toast. It, it came down to literally the last play on Monday night, and I won both. That is incredible. Very happy for you on that. Um, my wife was in two semifinals this weekend, and she needed one of them to go her way. She needed DeAndre Swift to have a big second half in the Eagles game yesterday, and he did. So she, yes, adva- he did. she advanced in our bigger money league. That's a $100 entry with 12 teams, and she advanced to the championship there. Good and for her. My college league is $40 entry with 10 teams, and she trailed by 36, 37 going in last night, and she had Lamar and CMC. So that was an easy win. So she wow. is on the championship in both of her leagues that she is in. This is the First year, I think she's made the playoffs in either league. That's like her fifth year playing, and she made it to the championship in both leagues. Um, so, yeah, she she's doing well and very excited. Uh, back to Christmas real, real quick, though. Did did Santa come visit your house? Oh, yeah. He, he definitely did. Um, a lot of good gifts, uh, the, the, especially for the girls. They got this, like, um, it's called, like, a yoga silk. It, like, hangs from the ceiling. Um, so, Santa... Had to uh, do some heavy duty artillery upstairs in our playroom, uh, putting it into <laughs> putting it into the studs. Uh, so Santa was busy. Um, I got me a cursive cowboys hoodie, Nike one, looks great. I uh, got me the the new melon hats that the Karsten Creek has to offer with the new swing and pee. Got me one of those. So got a little chip, a practice chipping mat as well, golf related. So I'll be ready to take you on again in a match here soon with my chipping skills. So it was uh, it was fantastic. Love it. Love it. This was uh, this was a very special Christmas for my wife and I as well, because it was the first Christmas we have ever spent at our house. Uh, my parents have always lived in Chickasha. Her parents live in Tulsa. So we were always at one place or the other. And then when our daughter was born, we decided we want to do things a little different. But we still went to Tulsa last year because she was so little, we couldn't really do Christmas. So it was our first Christmas at home. Santa came. He brought her a little stroller with a baby doll, came with a crib and like a little swing. She can put it in and stuff. 
And we almost did too good with the Santa gift because she was pushing the baby doll all around the house in the stroller. And we were trying to get her to come open presents. And we're asking her, we're like, don't you want to come open presents? No, no. And she's <laughs> pushing the stroller all around the house, uh, having a blast. My wife got a little stand so that she can ride her bike indoors during the winter. And I got the stack speed training system so that I can uh, hopefully hit some bombs. And if you improve your game, I can improve mine so that you don't overtake me. We can't have that happening. Yeah, no, no kidding. Uh, that's, that's fantastic. Keeping them on task once they open a present is tough. You'll learn when they get yeah. older, they, they don't really want to open all the presents. They want to play with what they just got. So that's a, that's a good time. And I got to say your, your daughter is going to be a fantasy football savant with her two parents knowing as much as they do. And, and she loves football. We'll sit in the living room. She's got like a little play couch and we'll sit on the edge of it and we'll sit there and we'll watch a play. And she does both teams, every play. She'll sit there and she'll stand up and she'll clap and say, yay, for both teams the whole time. Um, and she'll do that for about 10 minutes and then she'll go play and then she'll come back and watch football and stand up and clap. And yay. So she's already got the football bug. She's already got the golf bug with her little plastic clubs. Uh, we take her up to the PGA tour superstore golf galaxy sometimes to play on the putting green. Cause she just loves picking all the balls up and putting them in the holes. So yeah, we're, we're getting her on the right paths. That's fantastic. Well, we have a lot to get to Oklahoma state facing Texas A&M in the Texas or the uh, tax act, Texas bowl. Uh, it's Wednesday, eight o'clock kick, a late kick. I know Colby's not a fan of, but we'll get to that matchup, kind of break it down, give our picks. But first, Colby, we were kind of waiting around for Ollie Gordon to make a decision. We all kind of expected him to return to Oklahoma State, and they uh, they roll it out on Christmas Eve. What a what an early Christmas present for Oklahoma State fans. Ollie Gordon announces he will return to Oklahoma State as expected. They did it in a very cool way. It kind of looked like a, a Sports Center commercial in this video they released on uh, on social media. And uh, Dr. Casey Shrum was in it. The president of Oklahoma State got in on the act. And uh, what you what were your thoughts on that video when it got released? Uh, yeah, I thought it was great. I, I thought it totally ruined the prediction that I was going to make today, which that was that Ali was going to win MVP of the bowl game, and then he was going to have his offensive line stand behind him and announce that he was coming back. Um, so it totally ruined my prediction. But doing it this way was probably better. More eyeballs right around Christmas. Everybody can go to Christmas and talk about it. We were talking about it yesterday. Um, and it's all about the eyeballs, right? It's NIL. It's getting the Heisman campaign underway. You know, we kind of – we we – didn't know he was coming back, but we figured that he was going to come back. And I think it just speaks well for um, Oklahoma State and and where things are at with NIL. I, I'm sure Ollie got some bigger offers, but not so monstrously bigger that he, he felt he had to go somewhere else to monetize what he's doing right now. He got enough in Stillwater that he can stay at a place he loves with his teammates that he loves, a fan base that, that loves him so much and that clearly he loves and one thing that is kind of going away in college sports that I think Oklahoma State still has some of, which is very special, is guys playing their whole career at one place. I mean, it, it seems crazy, but so many college football players aren't playing their entire career in one place anymore. And that's how you become a legend. That's how you get to come back for your entire life. And they put you on the Jumbotron and you're a legend in that place. And Ollie's going to be that at Oklahoma State. So love the video. Love that he's coming back and really think he has something a, a chance to do something very special next year. Yeah, Stillwater is going to become Hollywood as he put it. Um no, it's it's fantastic and I think it speaks to a lot of things what's going on at Oklahoma State. Obviously it speaks to the college experience you and I got to have in Stillwater. I think Ollie is very much living that. I mean Stillwater unless you went to school there it's it's hard to explain to people just how special it is and just how perfect of a college town it is. So I think I think that's first and foremost. Obviously the the season he had on the field definitely is a factor in his decision. But I think it also speaks, Colby, to the infrastructure at OSU and, and the football program. I think it says a lot about how far Pokes with a Purpose has come because I I was hearing in the high six figures for Ollie Gordon was was, was what he's going to get at OSU. And I, I think that was close enough to the best offers that he would get elsewhere. And those offers elsewhere provide a lot of unknown. He knows how he's going to be utilized in Stillwater. He knows who his offensive line is going to be. He knows who his offensive coordinator, all the way down the line. It's a known quantity, I think. But I think the way the Pokes with a Purpose has come along, really, this is a testament to that and the way they were able to keep him. Because he, he had a lot of suitors, I'm sure, 
So I think it speaks to that. And I think it speaks to a change from Mike Gundy. I think he did everything he could to keep Ollie Gordon, rightfully so. I think I think the entire program has learned from last year, was kind of my opinion on, on what took place with Ollie and really what's what took place across the board with the offensive line. They're getting paid through pokes with a purpose. And so for me, it's just job well done to Mike Gundy and the in the program at large and the school and the the university at large, knowing what it takes to continue to be as successful as they've been and to really change with the times. I think, you know, Mike had given those great quotes about a month ago that he's kind of had an epiphany about how he needs to operate his program going into 2024. So it's, it's pivotal. They kept Ollie, but more importantly, Colby, I think it's very optimistic when you think of the program moving forward in this new era. Yeah, I think so too. And and it's a big testament to the fan base as well, who after that two and two start and everything was down, um, you know, things turned around. They started showing pokes with a purpose on the Jumbotron in the stadium. And then you go on that run and then you have that massive emotional win over Bedlam. And I think the fan base kind of realized like right now, the system that college football is existing in, the talent, the players, keeping your guys, getting other guys in, that's crowdsourced. That is crowdfunded. That's us. Um, so I think it, it says something about the Oklahoma state fan base that everybody kind of podied up this year. And a lot of the key impact players are coming back. I don't believe we've had a Nicholas Martin announcement yet. Um, but no news is good news. I mean, that means he hasn't hopped in the portal either. So, um, yeah, I, I just think it says a lot about this university, this program. And I, I like what you said about the staff learning from what happened last year, right? They, they learn as you go. Mistakes were made. Things didn't go well at the end of last year. There was kind of a mass exodus, and there was almost a reset of Oklahoma State football. And I think we really felt that this year in the pre-bye week, post-bye week kind of splits that we had for Oklahoma State. They learned from some mistakes. They realized what needed to be done to get the program back on solid ground, and they did all of it. They just have made almost every right decision since then, and it's a huge testament Um to the adaptability, I think, of Mike Gundy over the years because it's always one of those things with Mike Gundy where things are great for a while, great for a while, and then some things shift, and there's a little bit of a downturn, but then, boom, he figures it out, and he masters it quickly and doesn't let things get too far out of hand, and I think that's what we saw this year. So a testament to the fan base, to the coaching staff, and like you said, to Stillwater and how special of a place it is because you just – I mean, you nailed it. You can't explain it to people who who didn't go there, who haven't been to the games, who aren't a part of the family. If you're not a part of the family, you just don't get it. Um, and those of us who are do, and we understand how special it is and why it's so special. And I think Ollie gets that. And I'm happy that he's going to be back not only next year, but he'll be coming back for the rest of his life. And that's pretty cool. Yeah, and I, I think it sets up, you know, one of those years where, you know, Whedon and Blackman in 2010 lit it up kind of, surprisingly I think you could put Ollie Gordon in that category he surprised a lot of people nationally and it sets up kind of that 2011 hype train that that Whedon to Blackman had going into 2024 for Ollie I mean I, I fully expect Oklahoma State to go all in on a on a Heisman type campaign of course there's a long way to go next year we'll have to wait and see who the quarterback is and you know hopefully the offensive line can stay healthy for the most part like they did this year and um, so it's it sets up Oklahoma State with a a little bit brighter of a spotlight than they typically have coming into football seasons. And sometimes that doesn't work out. Sometimes when the expectations are highest at Oklahoma state, it doesn't work, but they certainly were high in 2011 and delivered. So I, I think more than anything, Colby, this gives us um, a lot of talking points when it comes to OSU with this new look, big 12 and, and Ollie Gordon returning. I think it'll, I think you'll see Oklahoma state getting more love in the preseason polls, I guess is what I'm trying to say with, with Ollie Gordon's return. Yeah, I think so, too. And, and nationally, I think people are going to look around at an Oklahoma State program that has been really good and just so solid over the last 15 years with Oklahoma and Texas in the conference. And now those two teams go away. And yes, some other good teams are coming in. Uh, Utah, obviously, is a great program under Kyle Whittingham. Arizona seems to be moving in the right direction, um, which is one that I, I might not have had on my bingo card whenever that was announced. But there's some good schools coming in. But nationally, I think people are going to look around and look at Oklahoma State and say, this is a team returning a Doak Walker award-winning running back who could potentially find himself in New York next season. If Alan Bowman gets his waiver and, and gets back there again, Nick Martin comes back, the offensive line's back. I, I just think people are going to look around and say, maybe Oklahoma state is the big dog now out there. And that's the team that people are going to have to get through. Uh, big 12 runs through Stillwater 
And that hasn't always been the case because, again, OU and Texas, they're monsters. They're beasts. And Texas was down for a long time, but we see what the ceiling is with those programs when they figure it out because of the resources, the money, um, the ability to recruit at a top five level nationally. And now Oklahoma State's going to be looking around at a lot of programs that I think are comparable, but still just ahead below where Oklahoma State's been over the last 10 to 15 years and the consistency under Mike Gundy. And what I really love and it's the reason that I'm, I'm team Alan Bowman. If he's able to come back next year, I think if you can come back and just have the stability of everyone knowing exactly what you're doing, going into next season, knowing exactly what the identity of the team is, it took them six weeks this year to figure out their identity. They're going to know going into spring camp, going into fall camp and going into game one, what the identity of this team is. And I think that will do wonders for Oklahoma state uh, to not lose any of those silly ones that you shouldn't lose. There's still going to be some teams that they're going to have to play well to beat on that schedule next year. Uh, Utah at home. I think at Colorado is going to be a a sneaky, tough game at altitude against a a program that I think will continue to get better under prime. So there'll be some tough games where you'll have to play well to win, but I think a team with its identity going into next season won't drop a, a silly one. Like we, saw this year with South Alabama yeah way more momentum coming into this year remember last year they lost five of their last six including the bowl game to Wisconsin and uh we all in the mass exodus and the portal happened so yeah much much more momentum I think they'll be way more positioned to you know start next year much stronger I did like what Alan Bowman had to say you know this could be his last game as an Oklahoma State Cowboy the portal's just so strange to me you got you got Malik Murphy there at Texas he enters the portal because he says he has to because spots are drying up and he commits to Duke. Like, I got to think Duke would be willing to wait on a Malik Murphy and he's got a chance to play for a national championship. Like, if Quinn Ewers gets hurt, they need Murphy to win a title. Like, he he's the reason they were able to to keep winning when, when Ewers was out. Um, so, I, I liked what Alan Bowman had to say about guys entering the portal. He says, I personally think if you're going to enter the portal, you might as well stay in the portal and still play in the game practice and get better the guys that just kind of leave you're missing out on 12 15 practices plus bowl gifts plus some money plus a trip you can still do all the same things just maybe not travel to a school for a recruiting visit um you know he says i was in the portal but i still wanted to be a part of the team talking about michigan uh trying to win a national championship so just get better as a player stay on the team and keep practicing and colby i understand that like spots are scarce and you you want to enter the portal as soon as you can be the Murphy one was just baffling to me because he's a vital part of that team because Quinn Ewers is one play away from being out. And <laughs> Texas needs him to win a national championship, but he enters the portal and he's at Duke. I just – the portal for me is is really put a damper on the sport, and I, I liked what Alan Bowman had to say about it. Yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of tough. I, I do think that there has to be some freedom with players, but I think that there were some unintended consequences of the portal that, that maybe college football didn't see coming. And this Malik Murphy thing is one of those. And, and I do understand that there are some programs where some coaches are very hard line. You get in the portal, then you're no longer a part of this program, clean out your locker and hit the road. Um, and some coaches handle it differently. But like you said, he went to Duke, right? He didn't go to Bama. Um, he didn't go to Georgia. He, he went to Duke, who just lost their starter. I think that they would have been happy to just wait another month and then get Malik Murphy. Not only can you play for a national championship, potentially, Quinn Ewers is one play away from being out, but the experiences, the memories with your teammates, your friends that, that you've been there with for a couple of years, it's just, um, I don't want to say baffling. I'm not in his shoes. I'm not in that situation, but from the outside looking in, I guess I can use the word baffling because you're just missing out on some serious life experiences that, I mean, look, you're going to be the quarterback at Duke. You're not going to another college football playoff, bud. This is your chance, like, to experience this. And you're giving up that life experience to get to Duke a month earlier. Um, That just seems like a poor decision from the outside looking in. And I I hope that he doesn't look back and regret that because – some of these things in life, you just you don't get a second chance at. And if he's going to be the quarterback at Duke, he's not going to get a second chance to play in a college football playoff. So um, a curious decision. Hope it works out for him. I understand the nature of college football these days is that you want to get somewhere where you can be the guy because you're you're trying to monetize your time that you have in college. But you're going to miss out on some experiences in the process. So, um, yeah, now we've got Arch Manning of the backup down at Texas. I'm actually super psyched 
for this college football playoff. The the way it came out with uh, Bama getting in over Florida State, we, we've been over that 100 times. But now that we're almost to the games, I think Bama-Michigan is a great game. I hope Bama steamrolls them. Uh, and then I think Texas-Washington's a great game too. So I can't wait to get to the college football playoff. And I'm actually, despite the late kick time, I'm, I'm really excited for Oklahoma State-Texas A&M tomorrow. I think it's a fun matchup too. I, I think it's a much bigger deal than people probably realize on the surface. You know, it's kind of a disappointing matchup. Once again, just like last year when they faced Wisconsin, they're facing, you know, a new head coach, not sure what to expect, pointing guys in the portal. But for me, Colby, this is a very much a statement type game and bowl game for the program because they're trying to reach 10 wins for the eighth time under Mike Gundy in his 19-year head coaching career at Oklahoma State. Like, that's a huge deal. Like, when we look at coaches' resumes, we go down the like, – we go down to Wikipedia pages for golfers and see how many majors they they top tend in. When we go down college football coaches, we look at that double digit win mark. That that matters. That's a huge deal, and it really is a staple of why you can argue Oklahoma State's one of the better programs in the country. And so, I think playing a name program like A and M certainly helps, even though they are in flux. Uh, it's a team you just played in a bowl game back in 2019 in the same bowl game, so there's a little bit of a revenge factor there. But I think, Colby, this is this game is so much more about the status and the stature of Oklahoma State than it necessarily is the matchup and and, and things that are going on at Texas A&M, for me anyway. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Oklahoma State is just on solid ground, and Texas A&M, you know, you get the all-time best recruiting class, and then two years later, you're paying a guy $76 million to not coach your football program. <laughs> It's unbelievable what has happened down there. And I've kind of been following the line of this game. And I wanted to make sure that I didn't have this wrong. So I, I gave it a Google. And on December 4th, USA Today has the spread at Texas A&M minus two, which would have been the open. Texas A&M is a two-point favorite. I'm looking at it right now. I've got Oklahoma State minus one and a half. That's a three and a half point line movement. And the Oklahoma State side has a little bit of extra juice if you want to bet Oklahoma State minus the points. And the reason is Oklahoma State's on solid ground. Everybody's coming back. The team has an identity. The, the, the guys want to be there. They want to play this game. And Texas A&M, again, exits in the portal. Um, coaches, just carousel. It it's just seems to be a disaster down there over and over again. It is, uh, it is the Elijah Robinson coaching the game, right? Elko's not coaching this game, I don't believe. Uh, yes, he'll lead the Aggies in the bowl game. Okay, yeah, so Elijah Robinson uh, will be leading Texas A&M. I do have a general theory on bowl games, a bit of a philosophy change in my brain. Are you ready for me to throw oh, that? Yeah, you, you teased this last week. I'm ready. Okay, so uh, I've kind of gotten a little down on the bowl games the last several years, and it's like, man, these are just – there's nothing on the line and all this stuff, but I don't even know where I heard this. Maybe it came to me in a dream. I want to start viewing – bowl games more as preseason games as opposed to postseason games because most of what you're going to see for Oklahoma State are guys that are going to be taking the field next season. Young guys. You might see some new faces that you haven't seen in the past. And all the way around college football, like I'm not going to watch the Louisville-USC game and try to figure out who the guys are going to be next year. I'm not going to turn on SMU Boston College on Thursday morning and, and look and see who the guys are going to be. But for my team, for Oklahoma State, I'm going to turn that game on tomorrow night and I'm going to be looking around and say, who are the playmakers for next season? So I, I think if I can change my philosophy of how I look at these games and try to look at it as like, okay, this is the, the, the pre spring game. Even it, it's just looking forward to next season. You're just doing it eight, nine months in advance uh, as opposed to the weeks leading up to the year. You know, we get excited for spring games and all this stuff. This is even better than a spring game. This is getting to see the majority of your 2024 roster go out and play against a bunch of talented kids at Texas A&M um, and see what this looks like. So I think I'm changing my philosophy as I go into bowl games, and I think it's helping me get more excited to watch these things and, and have it be a way to look toward the future as opposed to just putting kind of a, a little bow on the season that already happened. No, I, I like that because I, I think we've seen glimpses of that uh, in bowl games past. I mean uh... – you think about when they played Wisconsin uh, last year, uh, you had uh, Ollie Gordon becoming kind of the lead back after his performance in the regular season finale against West Virginia. 
Uh, I know Stephon Johnson went elsewhere, but he had that amazing one one catch for 84 yards and a touchdown. I think back to the Brennan Presley breakout game against Miami. That was a great preview of of what kind of player he was going to become and, and how vo- or how vital he was going to be into the offense and what a focal point he could be. So no, I I, I love that theory. I, I I think you're right. I, I think it's a, a showcase type game for younger players who are filling in for you know sub guys that maybe not this year, but in given years where they're going to, you know, sit out the bowl game, go to the NFL or sit out the bowl game, enter the portal. It's, it's really kind of a, a showcase for the depth of your program. And right now A&M's crippled <laughs> with their depth in the program, but up to 20 guys in the portal, new head coach, um, just kind of the, the consistency of Oklahoma state with, you know, Mike Gundy being the second longest tenured coach uh, in college football behind only Iowa's Kirk Ferentz. He's won 11 of 17 bowl appearances and I think the reason he's been so successful, Colby, is kind of what you're saying. I, I think Mike's always kind of coached a little looser in bowl games. Um, they matter. Uh, it goes on his win-loss record. But for whatever reason, he kind of plays more free. They, they run more trick plays. We remember the check engine-like game with James Castleman. You can just go up and down every single game. I, it just The approach seems a lot different from Mike when, he, when you get to bowl games, specifically when they're not playing in you know, a New Year's Six-type situation. Yeah, no doubt. And this year, you mentioned the Brennan game. That was kind of the one that stuck out in my mind where it's like, okay, you can look at that and say, this this guy has the potential to be that type of player. And it makes you wonder, like, who is that guy this year? Uh, Jaden Bray's in the portal. Blaine Green is in the portal. You got injuries at receiver, so you're still going to have uh, BP out there, Rashad Owens and Leon Johnson. But beyond that, who's the next guy that you can see kind of rotating in uh, with some depth at receiver? I'm, I'm excited to see that. Um yeah, by the way, you, you mentioned Texas A&M, all the departures and everything. As we're sitting here, I'm watching the line live, and it just moved to two, Oklahoma State minus two, and Oklahoma State is still juiced. You still have to lay more to bet Oklahoma State minus the two. So that's a pretty significant line movement to move half a point and have the juice not change. So the money is coming in on Oklahoma State, and people are clearly liking this team um, at the betting windows as we get closer and closer to kickoff. Yeah, and one more yeah, that's that's interesting. You might want to jump on that before it gets to three um, as you're watching it go up live. Um, one one more point I wanted to make just about these two programs before we get to our uniform preview and then make our picks and then we'll get to some uh, Toast of the Week and Twitter questions. This When you look at Texas A&M, you just mentioned it. Jimbo Fisher fired. They pay him $75 million to just go away. When people try to make the argument that Boone Pickens made Mike Gundy, all you have to and, and made Oklahoma State football just by donating money. All you got to do is point your finger at College Station. No one has more money, more resources, more NIL dollars than Texas A&M. Not even Texas. They have tried to go all in to try to turn the tide on what their program really is. They have all the resources in the world, and they're still the same old program they were when they were in the Big 12. In fact, they've gotten a little worse now under Jimbo. They had a worse record than Kevin Sumlin, if you can believe that. But I'm not here for the argument that just because Boone Pickens donated a bunch of money and built a nice stadium that he made Mike Gundy the coach that he is and made this program what it is. It takes two to tango. Boone got it started. And I think when you look at Texas A&M, Colby, it further proves what a Hall of Fame coach Mike Gundy is and how much he's won with much less resources than a school like Texas A&M. No, you're absolutely right. Um, Texas, uh, by the way, I'm not actually surprised that Jimbo had the same record as Sumlin. Sumlin had a couple of good years in there, and Jimbo was kind of a train wreck, but it does, it, it just takes more than just the money. You need the money, right? You need the money, and Boone kind of bringing Oklahoma State financially into the 21st century where they can compete with some bigger programs was huge, but it's not just the money. And Texas A&M proved that year after year after year. There's so much oil money flowing around down in Southeast Texas. And so much of it finds its way to college station. And yet they just cannot get it right time and time again. They're chasing Alabama. They're chasing. I mean, forever they were chasing Texas and Oklahoma. Uh, could never make that work. Then they go to the sec and they're chasing Alabama and Georgia and they never could make that work. And now Oklahoma and Texas have joined them in the sec. So now they're going to be chasing Alabama and Georgia and Texas and Oklahoma. And that's not going to work either. And they're just going to keep spending money trying to get it right. Mike Gundy has maximized every dollar that Oklahoma State has been able to spend in his time in Stillwater. And, yeah, I just think it um, 
it speaks to the consistency and what he's put together that yes, you had the one big influx from Boone and you've, you've had donors over the years and Oklahoma state is in a good place financially, but Mike Gundy has still made a lot of right moves in his nearly two decades to make sure that this, this program is on solid footing. So yeah, this is a big, big gap here um, in culture between Oklahoma state and Texas A&M mind the gap as they would say in Britain, as you watch the Texas bowl tomorrow night. Yep. Culture versus hype. Culture usually wins. We'll have to wait and see. And uh, let's get to the Chris's University Spirit uniform preview brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. I hope all of you took advantage of Chris's this holiday season, but um, if you are a little behind the times and Amazon didn't get your order in time, uh, be sure to shop at Chris's and they'll hook you up with the latest, greatest apparel as we enter bowl season as we enter you know basketball seasons right around the corner too so get you get your gear for uh gallagher arena and wrestling as well you always, you always want to get the the wrestling pete the one rocking the singlet you want to wear that gear if you're going to a, a duel or two so we appreciate chris's sponsoring the podcast and colby i on espn it lists oklahoma state as the home team i'm gonna go with that on the scoreboard page uh, i believe oklahoma state is the home team so that opens up way more options uniform wise. I, I have my pick if you want me to go first. Uh, you can go first. I, I also have mine written down and I've got some logic, so I, I won't be stealing from you, but I'm curious to see what yours is. Yeah. And I, I think they like to go I, the, the, I mentioned the check engine light game, the, the orange, black, orange has been somewhat of a staple uh, that comes to mind in bowl season. I think that's where I'm leaning towards orange, black, orange. But I also kind of think this is an example where you can kind of go off the board. Uh, it's you know it's a neutral site game. It's kind of a one off or a two off if you go back to 2019 playing AM. But I kind of want to see orange, orange, black. Uh, they haven't they've done that I believe one time. Justin Southwell could probably mention it off the top of his head, but I believe it was in 2013 they went orange, orange, black and had a big home win. I think it was the Isaiah Anderson game if my memory serves i'm getting older but that's that's what my memory tells me so I'll, I'll go orange orange black to mix it up but i i kind of expect it to be orange black orange uh orange orange black was not worn in this regular season i am going completely different from what you're going so oklahoma state um five and oh wearing black shirts in bowl games under mike gundy five oh. and oh five and five when they wear white shirts one and one when they wear orange so uh, they haven't worn black in five years. The last one was the Liberty Bowl against Missouri when they wore black. So I think they're going to wear black shirts. My only hesitation is that they wore them against Texas, and they might not want to run them right back out. But I think they're going to go with the black jerseys. Um, and I'm going to go with a combo that we did not see this season. I called for it a couple of times. Maybe I just want to see it. I don't know. But I'm going to go white, black, white, purse of Cowboys on the helmet, uh, I think that that would be a great look for Ooh. Oklahoma State for this bowl game, and they've had a lot of success in the black. So I'm going to go white, black, white uh, combo that we did not see in 2023. Ooh, that sounds clean to me. I, I I like the sound of that. Simple, to the point, clean, efficient. I could get behind that. Yeah, so I think either one of those would be great. Oklahoma State has had a lot of good combinations. They went all black against Texas. I don't think there's any chance that we see all black again. They actually went all black a couple times this year. They did it against Kansas State as well. So hopefully we can see that white cursive Cowboys helmet uh, with the black lettering. Cause I think that's one of my favorite helmets. Yeah, no, that, that would look sharp. So again, that's the Chris's university spirit uniform preview. All right, Colby, let's get to our picks here. Uh, what, what do you got? How do you see this game playing out? And what do you think the final score is going to be? Yeah, I think Oklahoma state is just in a better place with identity consistency. Um, you know, having a coach that's been around that, you know, who your coach is, you know, what your coach wants. I just think Texas A&M is kind of reeling right now. Oklahoma State's a two-point favorite. I think Oklahoma State's going to cover that spread over-under is 53 right now. So uh, the books don't have it being an, an overly high-scoring game. I'm going to go 31-23 Oklahoma State over Texas A&M. I like it. Uh, I'm right there with you. I think just – I know Oklahoma State lost to Wisconsin with – you know, a, a new head coach and a lot of turnover, but I think this is totally different Oklahoma State team. Again, that team lost five of their last six, uh, had a lot of exodus for the portal. I think this is totally different. I think everyone's on board. Uh, Mike Gundy typically, it's a real skill for a head coach to have their team ready to play a bowl game. Uh, I think that's why Mike has won 11 of 17. That's not a coincidence. I think he he finds a way to motivate guys for a game that essentially – 
other than when they're playing, you know, a New Year's Six game, it's essentially an exhibition. It's essentially a preseason game, as as you're liking to call it now. But I think he does a great job at getting them to play. I think he coaches loose. I think that inspires the team to to play free, to play fun football. That's a that's a that's a lost art these days, it seems, um, with how big football has become. But I think AM's down to their third string quarterback. Uh, you got Ollie Gordon's return. This is Alan Bowman's potentially his last hurrah. Most of your team is intact and not in the portal. This is a game Oklahoma State absolutely should win, and I think they should win convincingly. Uh, I don't think they're going to do that because it's – I'm a little worried about the rust factor, having you know played not great down the stretch over the last month and then all this time off. I, I kind of expect Oklahoma State to be rusty and for this game to be close. So I'm going to go 27-21 Oklahoma State. Uh, they beat A&M, and I think Ollie Gordon's – I don't think he's going to run crazy like like Barry did back in the day, but I think he'll have a, a big game and, and pull him out in the end. One thing, too, that I, I think we can um, – and maybe I'm, I'm doing a little co- correlations, not necessarily causation, but Oklahoma State has been really good in bowl games, and we see like this year. Oklahoma State started to, to falter a little bit down the stretch. Guys get banged up, and Oklahoma State doesn't have the elite recruiting at three levels depth to be able to rotate a ton of guys in in November, and guys start to get worn down. And we've seen some tough Novembers for Oklahoma State, and it was kind of another one this year where Oklahoma State limped across the finish line a little bit. I think just an extra three weeks for guys' bodies to just get right. I think we've seen a lot of times for Oklahoma State over the course of Mike Gundy's tenures, guys come out, they look fresh, they look revitalized, they look quick, they look strong. And I I think that we might see some of that this year because I think guys' bodies were really starting to get worn down down the stretch for Oklahoma State. A lot of touches for Ollie. These receivers were asked to do a lot. The offensive line uh, was getting worn down. I think Oklahoma State, a few weeks off for these guys' bodies, I think that they're going to look healthy, fresh, and good tomorrow night against A&M. Yeah, I think that's a good point about getting healthy. That that absolutely matters. I, I will say one last note for me. Uh, Brian Nardo facing a team that we have no idea what to expect schematically uh, from A&M. This is a big game for Brian Nardo in terms of first halves and making adjustments because he's going to have to make adjustments in this game because he has no idea what this – offense is going to look like under a new regime and really a new quarterback for the most part. Uh, so I, that's, that's one thing I really want to see too, Colby is Brian Nardo adjusting on the fly in the first half, not just waiting until halftime. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, there've been some rough first halves and again, kind of a wild card as to what we're going to see from A&M in the first half. So hopefully this isn't a situation where Texas A&M jumps out and, you know, scores touchdowns on their first two possessions or something and just marches down the field because this is an Oklahoma State team that I still believe will be much better playing from ahead. They can play from behind. We saw that against BYU, certainly. Um, But you're better off playing from ahead. So hopefully Brian Nardo has a good plan ready going in. And then if Texas A&M throws some curveballs, they're able to adjust immediately on the fly and it doesn't take until they get into the locker room. And then you're coming out trailing by uh, 10 or 14 points at halftime. I, I certainly don't think that it's a given Oklahoma state wins this game because there is the scenario where Texas A&M throws some things. Oklahoma state's not prepared for uh, at Oklahoma state in the first half, but just overall, I think the Cowboys are in a better place and I expect them to win the game. Yeah, I agree. All right, you ready for the uh, Yingling Toast of the Week? Brought to you by Yingling, America's oldest brewery. Which direction are you going with this week? Uh, okay, good. I get to go first because I was worried that you might steal mine. I, I mean, how does it not go to Mason Rudolph? Yes. What performance. What a performance, Mason Rudolph. I mean, the guy sits around. Um, it, it's It was Pittsburgh's best offensive performance in a win since 2020. The Steelers had not scored more than 26 points all season. They dropped 34 on Thursday night. Uh, His teammates were helping him out. George Pickens made a couple of big plays. It was a career night for George Pickens. You think Pickens isn't going to be lobbying for a little bit more Mason Rudolph in his life after he goes and has, you know, nearly 200 yards, a couple touchdowns? Um, Yeah, it was just a massive game for Mason Rudolph. And I always respect and admire guys who can just sit on the bench for years, for years, and just keep it together and be ready when their number is called. And Mason went out. He did it. 
He looked great doing it. He has clearly usurped Mitchell Trubisky on the depth chart in Pittsburgh. Now, when Kenny Pickett's healthy, he's still going to come back. He's going to be the starter because they invested a first-round draft pick in him, right? And those things matter to pro teams. that They want to make sure that they give that draft capital every possible chance to be successful. But I think Mason proved the other night that he can be a quarterback in this league. Um, he's six, four and one now as a starter. Don't know if he gets a chance to be a starter next year somewhere, but he certainly is good enough to be backup a on an NFL team. He proved that the other night and just really happy for Mason that he was able to capitalize on his opportunity because Pickett might be back next week. This might be a one week chance that Mason Rudolph had to come out here and show something in a primetime game with everyone watching. And he did it. So very happy for Mason. It was a real moment where, you know, Mason was asked about this after the game where, it was a moment you know this is kind of your last shot to prove you belong in the NFL. And he was he was asked about that. He's like, yeah, I, he basically, I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but he's like, am I going to keep playing in the NFL after this game or am I going to be doing commercial real estate? It, that, that's kind of where his brain was in terms of I'm not going to have many more shots at this, and if I don't do well, this is probably it. So that's that's the level of pressure he was playing with. And the fact you mentioned all the numbers with what was Pittsburgh doing? I mean, their defense was good enough to win games this year. And they, they've won a lot of games this year, despite their quarterback play. I mean, you didn't need to see that much Mitch Trubisky. I'm with you. I, I get they invested a first round pick. That's obviously going to make where they go moving forward. But had they switched to Mason earlier this year, like who knows what their record would be. And and I, I've been pretty down on Mason in the pros. I, I didn't think he had played all that great, but <laughs> You juxtapose that with what they've been trotting out there. I mean, he looks he looks like he should be the guy in Pittsburgh moving forward. So I, I was really just happy for him more than anything. They they were chanting Mason Rudolph. They were singing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. That had to feel good for a guy who was wondering if his NFL career would continue. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, and you know, it was easy to be down on what Mason had done in the pros. He hadn't played well. It's the reason that he was behind Mitchell Trubisky on the depth chart. He'd, he'd had some poor performances. Um I mean, the, the thing that NFL people associated Mason Rudolph with was the Miles Garrett incident. And that was a chance Thursday night. Again, these games on national TV, Thursday, Saturday, whenever it was, it, it was a, it was its own game in its own time slot. Um, GMs watch those things. Teams around the league watch those games that are in their own time slot and backup quarterbacks this year, more than ever in the NFL have been so valuable as starters around the league drop like flies these pass rushers miles garrett michael parsons tj watt these guys they're just turning into absolute monsters that are unblockable and quarterbacks are getting hurt as a result of it you need a good backup and i think mason did a ton the other day to solidify his place in the nfl for years to come even if not as a starter as a backup tj watt uh said that he wasn't surprised after the game, just raved about all the hard work that he's put in, how professional he is, um, doing the work, having it pay off for him. And that's really cool to see for an Oklahoma State Cowboy. And that comes on the heels of Tyland's great moment that he had a few weeks ago. He had another big return last night, a 25-yard return. Then he gets hit laid out of bounds. That's a 40-yard return in a game that Baltimore absolutely dominated. They're looking like the best team in the NFL right now. So it's pretty cool when we get to watch Justin Hill, Justice Hill um, spring a block for Thailand on a game-winning punt return, and then a couple of weeks later, we get to watch Mason Rudolph dumping it down to Jalen Warren. Like that's just pretty cool to see Cowboys out there making the most of their opportunities in the NFL. Yeah, honorary toast to Jalen Warren on that block. Did you see that? Whoa, buddy! Did he flatten that guy? Wow! Get out of Jalen Warren's way. Just a straight-up football player, man. He he's so much fun to watch. I mean, he didn't get all the opportunities I feel like he should with Najee Harris still being there, another first-round pick kind of in the way of an OSU guy. But man, that was that was awesome. Did you see the meme where it said like uh, the halls and versus like boughs of holly, and like Jalen Warren was you know decking the halls. <laughs> I, I didn't see that. For anybody who didn't see it, they they ran a jet sweep uh, to Calvin Austin, a little speedy slot receiver, and Jalen Warren, who was lined up in the backfield, basically got out as the lead blocker. And there's a linebacker coming across to try to make the play, and Jalen Warren just puts his foot in the ground, absolutely decleats this linebacker, just chest to chest contact, puts him on his back. Jalen Warren was totally unfazed, just kept running right over to Calvin Austin to sell <laughs> the touchdown. It was. I mean, Warren's not that big of a pack. That dude is strong. And like you said, he's a football player. And coaches love to see that stuff. Uh, he's just going to continue to get 
get more run in Pittsburgh. That was an awesome block. I have a weird comparison to make to that play because it didn't look like he hit him that hard, but the guy just went like flying. It, it kind of reminded me of some of those knockouts Johnny Hendricks used to have where he would land a punch and it was a you know solid punch, but the guy would literally go flying across the octagon. <laughs> They're like, what was that? Like it kind of reminded me of that because Warren it looked like he just kind of shoved him almost. And the guy just goes fl- decleated, flying across the screen. And you're right, he just kept on running. It, it kind of reminded me of one of those patented, you know, Johnny Hendricks knocking a dude all the way across the cage knockouts. Yeah, no doubt. And and that's a guy who knows how to use his leverage, right? And and have his weight positioned where it needs to be. And that that linebacker comes over recklessly and sees this little running back coming at him, probably thinks that he'll shed him. And Jalen had his leverage and he he exploded and he put that dude on his back, man. That was fun to watch. Yeah. Uh, my toast going to go to Dr. Casey Shrum. Uh, she helped Ollie Gordon with the uh, announcement he was returning. And I think it speaks to kind of the relationship she's been able to build. You know, I don't, I don't pretend to know what a university president does on a day-to-day basis, but I do think it's pretty cool that she's clearly building relationships with the student athletes. She's been very involved since becoming the president. She's out and about. And uh, that was pretty cool to see her in the video. So I wanted to give a, a toast to, to Dr. Shrum. Yeah, that's a good one. She's she's made all the right moves since she took over. She said all the right things, seemed to be very popular. And that was a cool video they did where, where she comes in and she's like, what are you doing in my office with your feet up on my desk? And uh, yeah, she was having fun with it. And that was cool. So that's a good one. She's I, I think her Q rating is pretty high at Stillwater. Yeah, that, that was fantastic. All right, let's get some a uh, few Twitter questions and then we'll get out of here and uh, wish everyone a Merry Christmas. Uh, Trey Brewer asked us to talk about Mason Rudolph getting the win last weekend. We we certainly did that. I know a lot of OSU fans were home for the holidays watching that, so we did touch on that. Um, Brian Metcalf, with all the departures A&M's had, how much production was lost on their side? I think the answer is most of it. Again, they're down to their third-string quarterback. I think anyone with – in a lot of it's their interior guys. Their offense and defensive linemen are in the portal. That – that's where I think Oklahoma State can really make some hay, Colby, is they, they've, they've lost a lot. And he also asked if Elijah Robinson would be coaching, and that's the case. So that kind of answers Metcalf's. But they, they've lost a lot, Colby. So it, I fully expect Oklahoma State to, to be the more talented team. Yeah, I think so, too. They, they lost a lot of production, and they're going to have some guys, I mean, just trying to figure out how to play with each other on the fly. And, again, talented players, so they could do some things. But I like Oklahoma State's chances. Uh, I do want to bookmark a question we got. Rye Guy asked, what are some New Year's resolutions you think the team and staff need to make in 2024? I've got some that I want to talk about, but I want to talk about it next week. Maybe we can talk about our resolutions and stuff. So I'm going to bookmark that one because that's a good question. We get one here. Um, What's the percentage chance we see Zane Flores take a snap in the bowl game? I don't know about you, Carson. I I would say it's probably 5 or 10%. I think it'll be mostly Bowman, and if Oklahoma State is winning by a lot, maybe you see him come in late, but there's also the chance that they go to Rangel and and give him a quarter if they've got a big lead, something like that. So I would say the chances are pretty small, um, but they're there, the old uh, dumb and dumber. So you're saying there's a chance. I I think it's a small chance. Yeah, that's a good question there from from Brandon Ramos. I would go 0%. I think this is Alan Bowman's Again, potentially his last game at Oklahoma State. I think even if they're in victory formation, you know, unless they're up by, you know, 40, 30, then you might see Rangel or Floors. But I, I fully expect Bowman to take the last snap. So I, I would put it at zero. Shout out Brandon, by the way. Brandon, I went to school with Brandon. He was in one of my classes. I actually met him before we had class, though. My very first night in Stillwater, like two hours after I got dropped off, um, some girl invited me to a party, and I went, and Brandon was there. And he's a couple years older than me, I think, and he was kind of running the show. Uh, Shout out Brandon. Good guy. Uh, From Hubfire, how many yards will Ollie get tomorrow rushing and receiving? I kind of – I'd probably put the line at 150. I I kind of envision him going for about – 120 on the ground and 30 receiving that I think 150 is a good over under. Would you take the over or the under on that? You stole my number. I was just about to put it at 150. Wow. Um, Yeah. I really was sitting here thinking 150 whenever I read that question. We've been doing this podcast together a while, I guess. Yeah, no, (laughs) and and that's a great number because um, I could easily see it falling on either side. Fresh legs. Let's go over fresh legs. And, and maybe some miscommunication uh, as some new guys are playing together on the, the defensive side of the ball for Texas A&M. Maybe he gets a long one. So I'm going to go over. Do they do they give Ollie a shot at redemption and let him throw a pass is my question. 
Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say no. His last one was so bad, man. It was so bad. That That's right up there with the worst trick play receiver or running back passes that I've seen throw. So I'm going to say, no, he does not get to put his hands uh, on the football and, and let it fly again. Yeah. He, he might've taken overtaken uh, Jalen McCleskey for worst pass on a trick play. If we remember that oh. one against TCU. And still I don't are. remember McCleskey's. What's that? I don't remember McCleskey's off the top of my head. Oh, it was against TCU when they lost at home in 2017, they ran a trick play and McCleskey tried to throw it down the field and got picked <laughs> in a, cr- a crucial situation. Okay, well, this one, um, yeah, I still think Ollie's takes the cake. In Bedlam at that moment, and Bowman bails him out by knocking Billy Bowman out of bounds, and they win the game, so we don't have to harp on it forever. But whoop, did he miss his mark by a mile? Yeah, a couple questions here on quarterbacks. Um, you know, basically, do you think they'll go for a transfer quarterback? And, and DRG1155 says, excluding Bowman, if the choice is between Rangel, Flores, or bringing in a KJ Jefferson or Pacua from New Mexico State, uh, what's the best option to get into the playoff next year? Um, I kind of think it's Bowman again. At the, he underwhelmed the last month of the year, but I, I think you know what the floor is. It's a it's a it's a low ceiling, but a high floor. And I think with what they have with with Ollie Gordon and the skill talent, I think it's the safest option. I've heard really good things about floors, so I'm, I'm intrigued by the young player, uh, KJ Jefferson. I think would be. Spencer Sanders ultralight. I think he can run, but not a not a great thrower. Uh, I I would I'd probably go with Bowman. That's probably where I would land on it. Yeah, he's uh you you skirted the question a little bit because he's asking excluding Bowman. Oh, and I'm it- sorry. I reading comprehension, not my strength. I I'd probably I'd probably run it run it out. I'd run floors out there. I think I really would. Yeah, so um, I, I think my answer is the same. Everyone knows that I'm Team Bowman. If that's not an option, if he doesn't get the waiver for whatever reason, again, you go get KJ Jefferson. You go get uh, the Pacua, uh, maybe is how it's pronounced from New Mexico State. That's coming up a big level in competition, and there's a lot of unknowns there. A guy coming in first year in the system, and I said this last week. At some point, if you're recruiting these guys from high school, uh, I liked Bowman coming in because you needed him in the moment when you needed him. You needed a veteran after Spencer left. But now you got to give one of these guys that you recruited out of high school a chance to go be the guy. Otherwise, how are you going to continue to walk into high school recruits and say, yeah, come play for me in Stillwater if you just keep bringing in a third or fourth year guy from another school to be your quarterback? I don't think you can just continue to do that over and over again. So I would thank Rangel or Floors, but we've seen a little bit from Rangel, and for whatever reason, his opportunities haven't come at the right time, and uh, the, the plays just haven't been there. I think I would go floors and see what the young guy gives you because if that does work on a team where a lot of the other pieces are already in place, then you might have a four-year starter that you can rely on. So if if we don't include Bowman, I think I would go floors. Yeah, I would too. I mean, he was a very, very highly touted recruit that you desperately wanted to keep away from uh, Matt Rule and Nebraska made a a late push for him. So I think you got to trust your system. You got to trust your own recruiting. Uh, I think you kicked the tires on some transfer quarterback options but if there's no better option out there i'm, I'm good with floors so uh, colby I, I think that'll do it man uh, i want to wish you and the family a, a merry christmas this was fun and uh, we'll get back with you uh, after the bowl game yeah we'll recap what happens in the bowl game see where we hit on our ollie gordon over and under hope everybody had a great christmas and uh has places to put all the the new toys and clothes everybody with kids obviously it's a, a fantastic great fun time of year so we appreciate everyone listening as always go pokes